Good morning, everyone. Um, happy Monday, and welcome back to Take Two with your hosts, Gabby Tanucci and Alyssa Couture. If you're tuning in for the first time, basically what we do is watch one movie each week and come on air to discuss it for an hour. We're here every Monday from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. on WSIN 1590 a.m. or on the TuneIn app. And don't forget to check us out on Instagram at WSIN Take Two so that you don't miss any new and exciting updates. So just a little bit about ourselves. I'm Alyssa Couture. I'm a sophomore here at Southern. I'm a communications major, and I'm doing this because I love movies, and it's even better to discuss them with friends. I agree. <laughs> um, I'm Gabby. I'm an English major at Southern, and I just really like watching movies and overanalyzing things all the <laughs> time. So this is a great way for me to do it. <laughs> So this week we watched another like classic movie of Goodwill Hunting. So this is our little preemptive warning that we will be spoiling the entire movie. If you haven't seen the movie before and you wish to see it, this is your warning now to stop listening if you want to watch it spoiler free. If not, well, you're free to continue to tune in. Very true. And if you do tune out, I would recommend going and watching it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only acceptable reason. All right, so we like to start each show by giving you a brief description of the movie, um, which I usually just get from Wikipedia, a very reliable source. <laughs> um, so Goodwill Hunting is a 1997 American drama film that follows 20-year-old South Boston janitor Will Hunting, an unrecognized genius who, as part of a deferred prosecution agreement after assaulting a police officer, becomes a client of a therapist and studies advanced mathematics with a renowned professor. Through his therapy sessions, Will reevaluates his relationships with his best friend, his girlfriend, and himself, facing the significant task of confronting his past and thinking about his future. And ironically enough, Matt Damon started writing the film as a final assignment for a playwriting class he was taking at Harvard University, um, which his character um, in the film is... Not, is very opposed to higher education, I would say, at first. <laughs> um, and instead of writing a one-act play, Damon submitted a 40-page script. Speaking as someone who has taken a script writing class before, if I submitted a 40-page script instead of what was required of me, I would have been severely marked down. <laughs> I'm just, like, throwing that out there. I don't know. I mean, it is impressive he wrote a 40-page script instead of a one-act play. He may have been marked out a bit for it, though. Right. I guess it's a bold move, then. <laughs> yeah. I guess he was hoping on it being either so good they'd be like, okay, we'll just we'll pretend this is in the criteria and just grade you accordingly. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was because it did do pretty well when the movie released. I mean, yeah, I will give him that. I'm always surprised that Matt Damon went to Harvard. Me too. I just don't like Matt Damon. I feel like I should say that and get that out of the way before we go any further. In this. I mean, so. I, for why? I don't know. It. I can't really explain why I don't like Matt Damon. I think he's decent enough with what I know. He just, he has a very punchable face. I can't explain <laughs> it other than that. I just, something about him fills me with rage. So I will say, I have seen Goodwill Hunting before. The first time I saw it, I refused to interpret it correctly. So the second time I watched it, I was less angry at Matt Damon's character and I actually comprehended it. 
That's fair. I could see how. <laughs> I can see your point of view. Um, but yeah, so I've also seen the movie before, but it was kind of in, I think, a psychology class, obviously. And so it was one of those movies that I was like, oh, if I really watched this, it's probably pretty deep, but I'm in class and I'm going to fall asleep. So <laughs> I think this time around, I appreciated it a lot more. Mm. I don't think it's possible to watch a movie in class and not fall asleep. Oh, no. <laughs> it, I don't think it matters what the movie is or the time of day. If I'm watching a movie in a classroom and the lights are off, my head is hitting the desk. Mm-hmm. And I will not even be shy about it. I will, I will make myself comfortable. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so a little bit of information about the film. It was initially released December 5th, 1997. The director is Gus Van Sant. Am I mispronouncing his name? Probably. <laughs> so he is known for the following films. Um, Mala Noche, which was released in 1985. Drugstore Cowboy, which was released in 1989. My Own Private Idaho, 1991. To Die For, 1995. Goodwill Hunting, 1997. Elephant, 2013. And Milk, 2008. So he's definitely a prolific director. He has a, I'd say, a most people listening in would be like, I've heard of two of those, and you know what? I'm in the same boat. <laughs> but he typically deals with marginalized communities. Since he is a gay man, he typically has movies depicting that. So according to Wikipedia, he is considered one of the most prom- prominent auteurs. I, yes, I had to do the little parentheses because I <laughs> cannot pronounce the word otherwise, of the new queer cinema movement. So consider so Goodwill Hunting was considered his most mainstream mo- most mainstream movie to date. That was a little bit of a tongue twister, and he is primarily an indie film director, but he does dabble with more mainstream f- films occasionally. So a little fun fact about him: he went to high school in Darren, Connecticut, even though he was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. So, all right, Connecticut native. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kentucky native. Oh, true. Like, Connecticut was more of, like, a pit stop. We'll take him. Honorary (laughs) Connecticut TN. That's what you call it. I I can think of another way we could say, like, a native person in Connecticut, but it's not appropriate for out of here. I think the the term is actually nutmegger, though. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. The nutmeg state. Yeah, I don't even (laughs) remember what that refers to, and frankly, I'm too tired. To think. <laughs> so a little bit about the budget. It was about ten million for this film. So it made two hundred and twenty-six million dollars at the box office. So besides being like a hugely profitable film, it was also nominated for nine Academy Awards, inclu- including the Academy Award for Best Picture, and it ended up winning two of the nine awards that it was nominated for. The Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for Robin Williams and Best Original Screenplay for Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. It's not bad for their first script, first movie. Oh, yeah. I really have to wonder what grade they got on that, (laughs) (laughs) or Matt Damon got on that script now. Yeah. So so the screenwriters were obviously Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. So they're both primarily known for their acting. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of, I guess, Matt Damon's acting history, because after thorough research, I couldn't see, a, I didn't really see anything else he's written. Mm. This was more of a fluke that did very well. 
Perhaps. <laughs> so Matt Damon, some of the movies he's acted in were The Martian, 2015, Manchester by the Sea, 2016, and he starred as Jason Bourne in the Bourne franchise from 2002 to 2016, and he was a con man in the Oceans trilogy from 2001 to 2007, along with many, many more films. He's received numerous awards and nominations, and he's considered to be, and I quote, one of the highest grossing actors of all time, and his films have collectively earned over $3.12 billion in the North American box office. Billion with a B, not million. Oh, man. <laughs> and so for Ben Affleck, you know, he, unlike Damon, he has had success as both an actor and a director, and his directorial debut was, wow, directorial debut was in the film Gone Baby Gone in 2007, which he also co-wrote, and then he also directed and co-wrote The Town in 2010, and directed and starred in Argo 2012. As for acting, he's as for acting, he starred in Gone Girl 2014, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice 2016, The Justice League 2017, The Accountant 2016, Mallrats 1995, and much more. So just like Damon, he has received numerous accolades. A lot of information there. <laughs> I'd say definitely a power duo then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so... The script, which we were previously talking about, it's so, it ended up selling for $600,000 to Miramax. So if Miramax sounds familiar, or if you're a longtime listener here, you'll know I'm not the biggest fan of Miramax <laughs> for a couple of reasons. We'll get into why in about a minute. So Damon and Affleck, they weave like a little trick into their script before they started pitching it to like Hollywood executives. And... They wrote a completely out of context like sex scene between like the two male leads of the film. So they did that so they were able to tell which studios were giving them a blind offer on their script instead of actually reading it. Because in Miramax ended up being the only company to bring up the out of context scene, which is why the script sold to them. So the reason behind why I don't like Miramax films, but you will probably continue to hear this from me in the future, is because it used to be owned by Bob and Harvey Weinstein. So it's not a reflection on the film at all. I'm just mentioning to this to show how influential Harvey Weinstein was in Hollywood and just how far his reach was since he owned several production companies that produced many hit films. So that is my little spiel on why I don't like Miramax, but I will continue to talk about them. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely a valid reason. Um, and it's definitely hard because they produced so many, you know, popular films that are kind of, you know, works of art in their own right, but also the fact that they were produced by um, a company like that. Yeah, and then you get into the whole separate the, how do you separate the movie from how it was produced and blah, 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 blah. It's, it's a whole thing, and I can yeah. go down the rabbit hole, but that's what, not what we're here for today. Right. It's just important to acknowledge, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree to that. All right, well, now that we're kind of done with our little rundown, um, we're going to take our first quick break. You're listening to Take Two on WSIN 1590 AM or on the TuneIn app. We're your hosts, Gabby Tanucci and Alyssa Couture, and we'll be right back.
welcome back. You're listening to Take Two on WSIN 1590 AM or on the TuneIn app with your hosts, Gabby Tanucci and Alyssa Couture. And that was the Will Hunting instrumental from the movie we're discussing today, Good Will Hunting. Um, so let's jump back into the movie because we have a lot to unpack, a lot like Will. <laughs> um, so I guess my first question is just what do we think about the overall premise of the story? Um, and I know it speaks a lot to how society's expectations about like attending college and academic achievement um, right off the bat. So, I think I like the overall premise of the movie. It did, I will admit, the first time I saw this movie, I was very angry because I thought Will was almost like wasting his gift. The second time around, I mean, it makes a lot more sense to me because... And I'm in college now. Last time I saw this movie, I wasn't in college. So I kind of get why not everyone needs to attend college and why academic achievement isn't necessarily the standard of all achievement, or it definitely shouldn't shouldn't be thought as like the be-all, end-all. Yeah, I agree. I think especially because I watched it when I was in high school. I think it was my junior year, which is really when you start to like look at colleges I was like no why is he doing that (laughs) like I would literally I wish that I had that talent but I think um you know in the context of his character and like personal struggles it makes sense um and I think a lot of the movie tries to kind of um like deconstruct that expectation and kind of figure out what the the root of it is Mm. I would say that like I would say that definitely makes sense and when you think about it, like, Will doesn't owe society anything. It hasn't exactly helped him in any way, shape, or form. So why... This is more of, like, my personal opinion, but if I was gifted like he was, now being a couple years older than I was when I first saw this movie, I wouldn't go into academia if I was that smart. I wouldn't. Yeah. I would stay very far away from it. I wouldn't waste my time with it personally, but so I definitely get where he's coming from. I do think he could do a lot of good if he decided to, but mm-hmm. ultimately he doesn't owe anyone or the world anything. Right. He could. I, sorry, no. you go. <laughs> I was just gonna say that I think like um, he does a lot of learning that you know is for his own enjoyment and because he likes it. Um, and I think a lot of the other characters kind of just are looking for a degree and in, in the status that college can offer them. Yeah. I I almost feel like when you're dedicating all this time to, like, a degree or just getting a piece of paper, you almost, like, lose the joy that you had for the subject to begin with. Right. Because it's not something you... It's like if, say, your homework was to watch a movie. You're like, well, I don't want to watch a movie. (laughs) Even though you would watch, like, three movies by yourself if no one told you to. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that has anything to do with this. (laughs) I was just following a train of thought. No, I think it makes sense. It's like, once you're told to do something, it's more off-putting, I feel like, than if you choose it of your, your own free will, ironically. Yeah. Wow, who would have thunk? Yeah. But I guess you could kind of say that about Will and therapy or Will and just his higher, his chance at getting a higher education with Professor Lambeau. Because 
those were both things he didn't necessarily want to do, but he kind of got forced into doing. And mm-hmm. along the way, he did find some enjoyment in uh, talking to Robin Williams, who plays Sean. But he didn't really ever seem to be interested in... I mean, for the math, he was, in one of the scenes, he even says that it's like child's play for him. Mm-hmm. So although he did enjoy parts of it, even though he was kind of forced to do it, it doesn't mean he necessarily enjoyed it. Right. Um, I think there's this one quote that I really liked when he was kind of having that like battle of the wits with the, the blonde-haired guy at the bar. Um, he says, you dropped 150 grand on what you could have gotten for a dollar fifty in late charges at the public library. And the other guy says, yeah, but I will have a degree. And Will says, maybe, but at least I won't be unoriginal. Um, which, you know, is kind of ironic for his character to say, which we'll probably get into later. But I think it's also kind of just, uh, very representative of his attitude towards learning, um, in that, you know, he does it kind of for himself. Yeah. And he's 100% right. Like, there's nothing wrong with paying for Audible, but you could get a lot of that stuff for free as an audiobook from your local library. Just a little throwing it out there. <laughs> Support local libraries. <laughs> That's what this whole show is about. <laughs> oh, 100%. But, no, it is It is true. A lot of... You don't necessarily need to go to college to get a college-level education. There's free sources online. I I say this as someone in college. (laughs) There are free resources online to take, like, online courses, like um, Coursera and, like, I think think it's called maybe... I can't remember. I think it's... uh, I can't remember the name of the other site, but that's one of them. And you could just take online courses through colleges for free, And so you're getting the knowledge. You're not getting the credit or getting the degree, but you're getting the knowledge if that's what you're here for. And that's kind of what Will is doing. He's just, he's following the resources that he has, which are, which is the local library and all the books. And frankly, I feel like for some classes, as long as you have this syllabus, you could kind of self-teach yourself if you really were so inclined. Right. And I think that's the, that's the hard part is being like so inclined I think that society um, puts so much value in, in like the end goal of college rather than the learning itself that a lot of people kind of just go to get through it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so that a lot of colleges have kind of become um, a way to increase your, your status and your career. I think that also has to do with both education as a whole and higher education just becoming more focused on standardized testing and just testing in general because one test is not a good representative of how well a person knows a subject or even comprehends it. Like you might be a really good test taker or a really bad test taker and either way with how the educational system is set up that one test will determine hey you're getting an A in this you're getting a B in this or how you see how well you're doing in it when maybe you understand it really well, but you might not be able to, I don't know, answer the questions on a test because you get really bad anxiety or something. It's it's not, the way education is set up, it's not set up in a way for your understanding to equal or your learning to equal, like, your grade. 
if that if that makes sense it was a little bit jumbled no i think that totally makes sense um and i think what that reminded me of a lot was uh will's scene at the very beginning i thought it was an interesting shot where he's doing the math equations on the mirror Mm -hmm. and so they're kind of going over his face and i felt like I mean, this is the English major I mean, talking, <laughs> but I felt like that really, sh- it like physically or visually represented how our identities can become, you know, how academically um, successful we are, if that makes sense, um, or like what we're good at. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of does become his identity when, you know, Professor Lambeau kind of takes him under his wing as he's just, you know, the kid that can is really great at math. <laughs> hmm. I don't know if this... Well, okay, so when people sometimes leave higher education, it almost seems like some people have, like, it almost seems like a loss of identity to them because their whole life is so wrapped up in academia. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I feel like... Professor Lambeau was one of those people like he was so entrenched in it because he had he based his almost entire self-worth on his academic achievements but what about his personal achievements like what about there's more to life than just sitting at a book and doing math you know right he based the worth of his whole life on just being good at one thing so when Will like just walks along and is like so much better than him at something he didn't even really try at it kind of destroys him in a way right and I think like his fields medal he's always talking about yeah. um so he's definitely like success oriented and has like that big feel fear of um failure um that way in terms of like fame I know at the beginning when he puts that problem on the board that Will solves um he says that the person to prove it will be will go on to fame and fortune Mm-hmm. And I think that really shows, uh, like, the crux of his character. And even later on in the film, he was more interested in Will just using his math, like, his analytical brain to just get this really good job, to get this really good opportunity, which, again, I commend him for. He was really trying. Mm-hmm. But he was so focused on... He was so focused on him just doing something with that ability that he didn't realize the merit in just learning to learn. Right, I agree. Um, And I think uh, maybe part of, you know, Will's opposition to that can kind of come from the tension between, you know, the Cambridge locals and the Harvard students that, that really started at the beginning. And I thought that was interesting because I know Matt Damon, like, is from Cambridge, so he probably had some personal insight into that. Um, and so I feel like that's probably what kept him uh, a little bit wary of that. He just didn't have a good opinion of people like that. Yeah, and I think with the whole tension between the Cambridge locals and the Harvard students, I mean, we don't live in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. so we wouldn't have any special insight. But we do go to school in New Haven, and New Haven has Yale. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a tension, but I wouldn't say that there isn't, if that makes, yeah. Right. I would say there's definitely recently been a lot of campaigns, you know, again, not necessarily against Yale, but kind of critiquing Yale for not um, helping the greater New Haven community and kind of being like an insular um, 
institution. I don't want to engage in too much Yale critique on air, but it's definitely a parallel, I think, um, that we see with a lot of like higher education. And I will just point out, I have seen tax Yale stickers and (laughs) I'm not disagreeing. Right. I think uh, that kind of dynamic here is kind of relatable to what's going on in the movie um, between, you know, like the local people from Cambridge. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know what else we could really say on that topic because, again, we're not Massachusetts natives. We wouldn't have Mm -hmm. any special insight. So the best thing we could do is just relate it to what we know. Right. Um, So I think a lot of this kind of just brings us into Will as a character. I mean, his name is in the title of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess I'm well, you know, what I'm wondering is what makes him an interesting protagonist, although possibly not likable for you. <laughs> I mean, I think he's more likable the second time around, but he was definitely an interesting character. He definitely was layered. There was definitely, the first time I saw it, again, I was sleep deprived. It was probably the second <laughs> movie of the night. I I found the first time I watched it kind of difficult to tell when he was telling the truth and when he wasn't. Second time around, I was like, okay, he's definitely lying here. Mm -hmm. But I could could see how people in his world may not be able to tell because it took me a second rewatch to be able to tell in some instances. Right. I think he definitely, you know, like as we find out later, tends to like push people away and doesn't like to be vulnerable. Um... And I think that's something he's kind of, I feel like he's relatable. Even if he's not always likable, there are certain things about him that I think we can all relate to, you know, like a fear of vulnerability, a kind of self, uh, not self-loathing, but kind of, you know, (laughs) self-critique and kind of just the fear of not being accepted by others um, is a lot that I think a lot of people understand, even if you don't necessarily like the character himself. Mm. We're getting deep here this Monday <laughs> on take two. Right away, starting the week right. <laughs> no, but I, I do agree with your assessment of that. He He's a very layered character, and I will admit, not his biggest fan, but he is relatable, which is probably <laughs> why I'm not his biggest fan. <laughs> Honestly, me too. I think, um, I don't know, I was just having the sort of day yesterday where I think I needed to watch this movie, (laughs) Um, in that, like, it just kind of reminded me that, you know, it's, it's, academics aren't everything, and I think, like, being able to focus on Will and him trying to, to navigate that as well as a lot of college students have to, I think that was also what kind of drew me in to Mm. the movie at first. I think one of my favorite quotes about education is like college is what you make of it or even education is what you make of it. So with that saying, you could be like, well, yes, you go to college to get a degree, but you also go there for the life experience, for for the opportunities, for the experiences. So I guess... I guess a point that the movie kind of makes is, well, academics aren't everything. And that holds true for real life, too. While I do prioritize my academics, they aren't everything. Like, 
I definitely have other things going on in my life besides that. Mm-hmm. And if you were to just suddenly be like, well, you can't do academics anymore. I'm not going to be devastated. I'm not. like, <laughs> Right. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I definitely <laughs> know that a lot of people talk about like gifted kid burnout syndrome um, mm-hmm. and kind of like placing your whole identity, um, you know, like gifted programs in school on like how, how smart you are, what your grades are. Um, and I could see f- how from an early age that could be damaging to a lot of people. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's just interesting to think about in the context of the movie um, and, you know, Will's own reaction because I think he sees academics not really in the way you do, that it's like can also be about learning and also experience. I think he solely sees it as like this upper class thing where you're, you're working to get a degree to be academically great or famous um, and not really to have a new experience. Yeah. To kind of like loop back to like the gifted kid burnout thing, I don't think I've ever experienced that and I don't think I will because I don't (laughs) think I care that much. I wish I didn't, but um, enrichment in fifth grade really threw me (laughs) for a loop, even if all we did was make Rube Goldberg machines. (laughs) Those are the best though. (laughs) They were. I used to try to make something, okay, so you know how little kids like to make forts and just like all sorts of stuff around the house? So I would try to make those, and we had string, right? So I would try to make like a Rue Goldberg machine that kind of, you know, went down the stairs, went around a circle, never Mm -hmm. worked, made a mess (laughs) of the whole house, but... But you tried. I tried. Did I? Sort of. (laughs) You had the interest in learning. Yeah. And that's important. <laughs> I think I'm more in the interest in, like, making a mess, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess just to go into a, a little bit more about Will, um, you know, like, his um, relationship with his friends, I think also uh, uh, shows how he doesn't really want to go into academics. I noticed a lot of the time when they would start to talk about how smart Will is, it wasn't really compatible with, you know, how tough he was or whatever and those kind of values. Um, I really liked that they did, you know, support him and and towards the end. But I think in the beginning, it was something that Will was kind of sensitive about because it didn't fit in with his his group or his neighborhood. Mm. I The dynamic between Will and his friends... I would say is one of those things I could kind of relate to because all of his friends are childhood friends. They all, they pick each other up from their houses. They just, they bicker like they've been friends forever. They tease each other. They mock each other. It's, (laughs) I don't know how else, they're dynamic. They're definitely, they're friends, but they're also family. So, right. I, I, I could understand why Will wouldn't want to go anywhere because he feels like his whole life is there. And to be fair, he's never left Boston. His whole life is there. His friends are his world. His his friends are quite literally his world because he doesn't have... He's an orphan. He doesn't have family. Mm -hmm. So I could definitely... I could see why his friend Chucky being like, I want you to just leave one day. Just all right, like, leave. Don't say anything. Just go. Mm Mm-hmm to be almost the thing that gives Will the approval to be like, okay, I have a way out. Because to him, he didn't even, 
he knew it was bad, like his living situation, his everything. But to him, it wasn't bad because he still had like people that he loved by his side, although he would never admit it. Right. Because his friends were family, and I think the best way to, I think the best example of that was when his friends saved up and they got him a car, a really rusted car, and they fixed it up themselves because they wanted to give him a chance at getting out. Right. I thought that was like a really sweet gesture because it had that, you know, kind of nuance underneath it. Like, what we're giving you permission to like yeah. to go and kind of giving you that little push out of the nest. It gave him like that approval he needed. Like he wasn't leaving them behind. It's like, no, we want you to go. Like yeah. They're like, we're going to be stuck here, but you shouldn't be. Right. I think, um, what does Chucky tell him? He's like, if you're still here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Which is something, just kind of shows like how they talk to each other also. But yeah, this movie is a lot about relationships and different kinds of relationships and how that kind of enriches our lives. So I think that's definitely important to talk about and something we can get into um, after this break. So um you're listening to Take Two on WSIN 1590 AM or on the TuneIn app. We're your hosts, Gabby Tanucci and Alyssa Couture, and we'll be right back. No one's gonna fool around with us No one's 
Nobody's gonna fool around with us So glad to meet you, Angela Welcome back. You're listening to Take Two on WSIN 1590 AM with your hosts, Gabby Tanucci and Alyssa Kutcher. And that was Angela's by Elliot Smith from the movie we're discussing today, Goodwill Hunting. Um, so before we uh, took our break, we were kind of talking about relationships and how they were an important theme throughout the movie. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk more. We started to talk about it a little bit, but... Um, the differences between Professor Lambeau and Dr. Sean McGuire um, in relationship to Will, um, because they, while they knew each other, they were both college roommates, they also had very different perspectives and very different relationships with Will that I think shaped the movie. Yeah, they had very different approaches to getting to know him and to help him. I mean, obviously they're very, they have very different jobs, they have very different they're very different personalities and even their approach to life is very different they took i i I don't want to keep saying different but my brain's a little fried (laughs) so i'm gonna keep saying they have just different approaches to life and that just shows in their approach to him like professor lambeau he was very on the surface very goal oriented very he was very set on his ways and how he wanted to help Will, and he wasn't necessarily willing to change his approach, even if it wasn't working. And then Dr. Sean McGuire, he he adapted his approach to what he saw from Will, and he realized, oh, I have to open up a little bit if he's going to open up to me, if it feels reciprocal. And if it doesn't, he wasn't going to, Will wasn't going to say anything. He wasn't going to be vulnerable because... Will's whole history, his whole thing is put like kind of like guarding himself, protecting himself, and the complete opposite of that is vulnerability. So it makes sense that it would take that being reciprocal for him to even consider confining in Sean. Right, I agree. And I think just they had so much more in common, um, Sean and Will, um, in terms of both being from South Boston. Um, So they kind of had the same, they really both loved baseball. (laughs) So they kind of had those, uh, those connections working for them. And I think you're absolutely right about like, vulnerability. Um, I think the first time they meet, you know, they're really, like, Sean is really shaken by, (laughs) by how rude Will is to him. But I think he, you know, they show that scene of him kind of just sitting for a really long time and thinking about it. And I think he he realizes, um, you know, that he has to be open with Will. And that's his own kind of vulnerability, too, that he has to face this. He has to be, he knows that when he opens up to Will, he's going to insult him. <laughs> like, yeah. So I think that took a lot of bravery for him to do. Um, and I think that's also, you know, how he got Will to trust him, because how can you really trust someone if they're always lying to you like Will is? Or not revealing anything if they're purposefully vague or just surface level. You here's a great example. So if someone's always surface level with you, but you're always like digging deeper with what you're saying, eventually you'll feel that I don't know that dynamic kind of like shift. You'll feel that you'll feel the difference in knowledge. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. 
so it makes sense for Will to be like, well, I don't want, it's almost like he won't reveal something unless Sean reveals something of equal magnitude. So they're almost at the same level. So they both know each other an equal amount. So it doesn't feel unequal. Right. I think that makes sense because, you know, even though Professor Lambeau is kind of like, you know, has taken him under his wing and acknowledged Will, I don't think he's being seen in a personal way um, yeah. as he is with Sean. He's he's being seen as more of like as a prodigy than as a person. Right. And I think with, um, with Sean, they're kind of, you know, they're they have like a mutual respect that develops um, that's really important to any relationship. I think this is sort of like an interesting thing to point out. When Professor Lambeau and uh, Sean are arguing later in the film and Will happens to overhear it, one of the things that Professor Lambeau says is that Sean's always been smarter than him. Mm -hmm. And all I could think of is Lambeau's scene with Will earlier maybe it was earlier, maybe it was later in the film, of him, like, getting all upset because Will was like, this math is super easy, and then, like, lighting the paper on fire and then him trying to, like, douse it out. So I could see Lambeau's relationship with Sean transferring over to Will because, again, they're very similar people. So the pitfalls that Lambeau and Sean had in their relationship shows in Lambeau and Will's relationship because ultimately they just are very different people. Yeah, for sure. I thought that was a really powerful scene and and kind of dehumanizing almost the way he kind of like scrambled to get the paper and blow it out was just so not dignified and out of character for him. And that made me think of, this is probably going a little bit off track, but I won't go too in depth, but the cigarettes that Will is, is like, because he smokes cigarettes, right? And he, he lights that on fire with his cigarette. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's interesting because when he's in the therapy office with Sean, Sean says no cigarettes. And so I think that kind of represents him trying to appear like aloof and and cool. Um, And so when he's in that therapy room, he he doesn't do that, if that makes sense. And when um, he first meets Professor Lambeau, um, or I guess second time technically, in prison, um, Lambeau, like, lights his cigarette for him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there's some symbolism going on in there, but I guess um, what I think it mostly represents is just uh, his being vul- vulnerable versus when he's not being vulnerable. I almost took uh, Sean, uh, I almost took Sean not letting him light the cigarettes is him challenging Will in a way. Mm-hmm. So... Lambo letting him light the cigarette shows that he's not really challenging him. Nothing is really changing in Will's life by doing the math. Nothing's changing. The math mm-hmm. is easy for him. He just shows up there because he has to. But meanwhile, with Sean, everything he does is work. Everything. Talking mm-hmm. to him is hard. Him actually putting in the work and trying to change something is hard. Not lighting the cigarette is hard. Mm-hmm. So... Sean challenges him in a way that Professor Lambeau doesn't, and I think the cigarettes kind of show the big difference between them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think it also kind of challenges um, Will's, like, self-destructive behaviors, you know, like pushing people away and, like, 
you know, smoking a cigarette is literally killing yourself slowly, um, if you think about it. So there's definitely some, some meaning to that. Um, and especially the therapy sessions become really revealing, um, for, for Will, um, because I think the first thing that struck me was when he analyzes the um, painting that Sean did. And I'm trying to find, okay. So he kind of, he, he analyzes it, but he, he's saying that it's about Sean, but I think it's really just about himself. So he says, you ever heard the saying, any port in the storm? Yeah, maybe that means you. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm, a big storm, <laughs> taking out the expletives. The sky's falling on your head. The waves are crashing over your little boat. The oars are about to snap. Um, you just pee <laughs> your pants. You're crying for the harbor, so maybe you do what you gotta do to get out. And I feel like he was saying that was about Sean, but I feel like that was really revealing of his own situation because he's been through these foster homes. Um, he's an orphan and, you know, like he's been traumatized by, you know, like physical abuse. And so I think he kind of, his harbor is, I guess, like his friends in his little world. Um, so I thought that that small quote was really revealing. No, I definitely agree. And I would say, man, I had a thought and I, it just flew out of my head. <laughs> um, come back to me. I need a minute. All right. Um, I don't know. I guess just, yeah, in the same line of, uh, a therapy, um, it feels like, oh, the next thing was kind of like Robin Williams' monologue at the Duck Pond mm -hmm. um, really struck me. I think that was such a beautiful monologue in, like, one of my favorite parts um, because he takes him outside of the therapy, the room, you know, the kind of clinical setting. Yeah. And he's telling him, like, you're so book smart, but you haven't experienced anything in the real world. You've never left Boston. Um, and so it's, like, a physically fitting place for him to have that conversation yeah and will without even realizing it his he almost whenever he meets a person he almost creates a who he thinks that they are inside his head and then he just acts as if they are that person so mm -hmm. when he sees the boat painting he just assumes that how he inter interprets the boat to be how sean is to be like how robin williams is like he doesn't mm -hmm. even bother to consider that he may have misinterpreted him as a person he just believes he knows everything because he reads a lot but it's kind of clear he hasn't experienced a lot he hasn't been on a plane he hasn't been out of massachusetts he hasn't been out of boston so he's may have he may have had some interesting experiences like being arrested or the foster <laughs> homes but his experience he has a lot of experience with I would say the ugliness of the world, but he hasn't had a lot of experience with people. His mm -hmm. bubble of people that he associates with are three childhood friends, job, and he keeps bouncing around from job to job to job, and he, he has like almost like a protection. He just interprets people how he wants to interpret them. He doesn't bother to truly get to know them. He doesn't allow himself to truly be seen by others. So he's never truly known. So he's just sitting there all not angry at the world. He is kind of angry at the world because yeah. no one understands him, but he also hasn't bothered to understand anyone else. So he 
almost self-isolates himself with his behavior, which is part of why I could see him as using learning as like an escapism. Right. Because it's something for him to do. It's something kind of outside himself, something that, again, he's incredibly smart. So it probably also gave him an outlet to feel understood. Right. And I think like, I know that Sean points out that his biggest fear is other people find, or Will's biggest fear is other people finding out his imperfections. And so he pushes them away before they have a chance to leave, is I think how he describes it. And you really see that when, you know, Skylar, his girlfriend asks him to come to California with her and he goes, what if you get there and you're stuck with someone you hate? (laughs) And I think that really shows his whole philosophy and seeing the most negative outcome. He kind he's been living his life like he made like a good painting but he refused to do an extra stroke which could have made it a great painting for fear of ruining a good painting. So That's a very good <laughs> very good simile. I like it. So he was content to live his life just how it is instead of taking the risks to make it truly meaningful or truly fulfilling. Yeah, and I think, you know, Skylar shows a lot of that to him because, you know, she defies the stereotype that he probably has of a Harvard student. You know, she has this English accent and she seems very high society, but she can kind of like kick it with his friends, you know, and she's very down to earth. Um, And I know that Sean describes her as someone who challenges Will Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like Will really loves her, but he's afraid that she won't love him. Yeah, and she has never... I feel like it's important to point out that Skylar throughout the entire film has never shown anything to make Will doubt her affection. Will's inse- where Will's doubts are all just his insecurities, his few, his uh, negative self-worth, his low self-esteem. All of that is him. Like how she feels about him is not the same as how he feels about himself. And he almost can't separate he almost can't separate that which I Again, when he, like, pushes her away, he's, like, he didn't even want to give it a chance because he didn't want... He decided to break his own heart instead of having... Letting her potentially break his. Right. I think that's definitely true. And I think, you know, his really low self-worth is is why he puts up that front of being kind of tough and aloof because, like, no one should get that close to it to him because he just immediately assumes they won't like him um which is why i just i cried so much throughout this movie (laughs) but i think that one part when sean just keeps telling him it it's not your fault these things that happened to you weren't your fault um because probably you know in will's head like the things he suffered in his past were like because he himself wasn't good um and so that scene where like he kind of breaks down when sean's telling him that was really powerful I think it it really showed him that, like, you know, he's he's worthy of love, I guess. Kind of a cliche way to put it, but... No, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. He... Will is definitely a person who... He, he's a very logical person. He's like, there always must be a reason for something awful happening. For this, for that, for whatever. But sometimes a bad day is just a bad day. Sometimes a bad experience is just because there's no rhyme or reason for why things happen. There's mm-hmm. no plan to life. Maybe some things feel like they're more likely to happen than others, but ultimately things just happen because they happen. And 
I could I could almost see Will with his little chip on his shoulder being like the world's out to get him and he kind of acts like that. So mm-hmm. no wonder the world is quote unquote like out to get him. If you go through every day acting like the world is going to hurt you, you're going to find something in every day to hurt you. But if you mm-hmm. approach it with a sunnier approach, a more a slightly more optimistic, you might find something good in every day instead of aiming or looking for something bad. Right. I think that makes so much sense. And I think um, kind of, I guess what struck me, you know, that really showed his character development that way um, was, so he first tells that joke about, you know, going on a plane. And then Sean's like, you've never been on a plane. And he's <laughs> like, I know it's a joke. But the, the, at the, towards the end, Skylar gets on the plane to go to California and he's watching her fly away, you know? And then I feel, so I feel like um, the plane there just really represents um, him taking that risk, you know, because getting in a plane is just kind of scary. You're just (laughs) flying through the air somehow. I don't know how it works. Um, And although he ends up driving, you know, to where Skylar is, I think it still, you know, represents him taking that risk, and she's a risk yeah. for him. But the plane is also kind of like him facing his fear, and him not being able to get on the plane is him not being able to face it. A lot of the decisions or non-decisions he makes were very much rooted in fear and not actual decisions. Like, he would have preferred to, Will would have preferred to stay in place and do nothing than to face his fear, than to do something that made him slightly uncomfortable, that or anything that could have been an opportunity for him to grow. Because, as we've said earlier, he hasn't experienced much of life. Everything he knows, he's read in books. He is very book smart, and he is street smart, but he doesn't have a lot of life experiences, and that seems to be one area of his life where he is not willing to put himself out there to experience something new. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And I think that, I guess... That brings us back to the title, you know, Good Will Hunting. Um, because even just the name Will Hunting is, you know, he's looking for for a will for, <laughs> for himself in a way. But also, I mean, I looked up the definition of will because I thought it was interesting. But, you know, it's kind of like a deliberate intention or wish. And, you know, Sean tells him, what do you want to do? Well, you can't give me a straight answer because you don't know. And so he's, he's, you know, hunting for a will for what he really wants to do. He knows everything except what truly matters, which is what he wants, like, which is what he wants or what he wants to do or who he is or who he wants to be. He knows a ton about everything else, everything and everyone else, but he knows nothing about himself. Right. And it's definitely interesting that it took the good will of someone like Sean to bring that out in him. Um, so I thought the title was really significant that way. I just kept thinking about it in my head. I was like, why did they name it this? Um, but yeah, I really loved that. Yeah. And I kind of, just to like briefly touch on like the end of the movie when Sean gets like a lottery ticket, I, I think that's kind of important because it shows him taking a chance, you know, Mm -hmm. the same way that Will is taking a chance by, you know, facing his fear and going after, uh, Skylar. Sean's also taking a chance because he's going to try to put himself out there again. So to me, the lottery ticket represents that, yeah, maybe maybe he'll find another true love, another soulmate or whatever. 
Or maybe he won't. But if he never got the ticket, he would never know. Right. And it's kind of similar to when Chucky tells um, Will that he's sitting on a winning lottery ticket. It's like he already has that that success basically ready and waiting for him. Um, and he just has to take it. So yeah. definitely another example of risk. Yeah, he's just not cashing his talent or his his tickets as talent. But I also don't think he has to cash it in the way that everyone expects him to, which would be going into academia, doing all of that. When When you're as smart as he is, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do something because it will have an impact because you could see that far far ahead. You could just think it through, you know? Yeah, I think he he does eventually find his will and, yeah. and away. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess um, that kind of brings us to our last short break, um, but stick around because we're going to be revealing what movie we're watching next week. You're listening to Take Two on WSIN, 1590 AM, or on the TuneIn app. We're your hosts, Gabby Tanucci and Alyssa Couture. Don't go anywhere. Johnny Walker Red Send the poison brain Down the drain To put bad thoughts in my head The two tickets torn in half and lot But nothing to do Do you miss me? Try to be, but 
Okay, welcome back. That was Miss Misery by Elliot Smith from the movie we discussed today, Goodwill Hunting. Um, so that's a wrap on this week's show, but we hope you'll join us again next week when we discuss Night at the Museum. In fact, you can listen to Take Two every Monday at 11 a.m. on WSIN 1590 a.m. or on the TuneIn app. We're your hosts, Gabby Tanucci and Alyssa Gatcher. Wishing you a great w- rest of your week. And now, if you'll excuse us, we have to go see about a girl. <laughs>